Thanks to everyone who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Mick Cowans, Ian Mercer, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Illico Elia, Roland Roberts, and Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so from $1 per episode. Go to 361podcast.com forward slash support. Okay. Yes. No preamble this week because oh, I haven't straight got, in, straight in. I haven't got any jokes and it's like... You used them all last time, that's why. So it's not really jokes kind of time of year, is it? So Why the big pause? Uh, yeah, great. <laughs> great. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> this is where you're not allowed to do performance reviews anymore, is it? How was your year? It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let the door hit you in the arse all the way out. <laughs> Yes. Okay, let's do some claps for Mark. Probably make a little song out of that, Mark. If you're bored one day. Right. Uh, the look of disdain. Sometimes I think 10 years is too long on this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> right, ready? Welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. My name is Ewan McLeod. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ben Smith. This is Season 20, Episode 2, and this week we're looking at Apple's recent announcements and asking, does their ecosystem add value for customers or lock them in? Welcome back, chaps. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Ben? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Ten years and one episode, and finally somebody's bothered. So, thank you, Rafe Blanford. You're looking very crisp this week. Mm. Freshly quaffed. What happened there, Rafe? Went to the hairdressers. Nature is healing. Rafe Blanford is returning to his true executive form. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty severe, that one. Yeah. I think it is good, though. But it's, 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 that's worth a lot of money. Oh, geez. Has he, he's carved an R into the back of your head. I couldn't tell if it was just the image processing was a bit harsh on your webcam or whether you were really that crispy. It's uh, That's a sharp edge there, Rafe. Very yeah. impressive. Gosh. Yeah. Is that gel or wax or... No, no. But Zoom does seem to take a few years off and gets rid of the wrinkles, which is a little bit disconcerting. You've left the smooth skin option on, haven't you? Probably. Image smoothing, yeah. yeah. Well, look, you know, just ask the other kids down at the skateboard park. They'll tell you how to turn it off. Yes, and hello, hello from Muscat, by the way. And hello from Muscat Amman. How are you, Ewan McLeod? Yeah, thanks very much. I'm very well. Rocking. Everything is good. Grant. Well, How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, mm. As we approach our 10-year anniversary, it's actually at the end of this month. You mean the podcast, right? Not- yes, I mean, I mean, I've been putting up with you lot for... Not Mrs. For longer. No, absolutely. Right. We should probably just say hello to new listeners and introduce ourselves. So, Ewan McLeod, why are you in Muscat Amman? I'm here. I'm transforming. A bank. I, I am chief transformation officer of a, a local bank here in Amman, and uh, I was most recently in Denmark doing a similar role, digital innovation change, basically that kind of thing in banking. And uh, we know each other from uh, the heady world of writing blogs when mobile was popular. I was a blogger. I mean, I still technically am a blogger. Yeah. I just I haven't quite given it up, but it has been months. Mobile industry review was my blog. And that's where I uh, I met you, Ben. And yep. I remember I remember meeting you and giving you some phones to review, and that you was did. really cool. And you did a great yeah. job. And then um, uh, Blanford over there, little Prince Blanford. I say that just to wind him up because it really, really winds him up, listeners, because he's a very nice guy. It's ironic. It's ironic. I met Rafe 
I thought th- I knew of him by reputation because everybody at Nokia knew Rafe. And I think I met him at a, I think I sat next to him at a Nokia event. Is that when I first met you, Rafe? It is. It was uh, Nokia World. And I want to say it was in Amsterdam. And you sat next to me in a very lovely pinstripe suit with chalk lines. Started talking to me. I was like, oh, it's Ewan from events like um, SMS Text News, I was called at that point. SMS Tech News and mobile meetups, which you were famous for. Yeah. Nice. And it was a great honor. And then you asked what phone Yorma Olia had in his pocket, I believe. The CEO. Yeah. Yes, because they gave the opportunity for bloggers. I think they paid for us to fly out there. It was very kind of them. And I thought I should ask a sensible question, but the only sensible question, because yeah, you're sitting next to Rafe Blanford, right? Deep insight, yeah. Who is the man who knows everything about your know, code level changes being made to Symbian, the operating system for Nokia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I didn't want to ask anything about that. I just thought I'll ask the CEO, what phone do you use? And uh, watching all the Nokia PRs panic, because they hadn't rehearsed that one. And uh, Rafe, I mean, you were the other proper blogger amongst the three of us, and obviously now also a grown up. So just tell us what you do now. So I'm the... Chief Product Officer at Digitas, which is a digital agency that does all sorts of things around marketing, advertising, and technology. Ewan is prone to exaggeration, but my Apple Photos what memories reel popped up an image recently from a time when we were all in Barcelona for Mobile World Congress back in the days when Barcelona. I fleetingly thought that I might have something of a career in writing words about phones instead of just spending mm. all of my salary on them. And um, the memory that popped up was Ewan and I. We'd all been to a Nokia press conference and you and I had been in the cheap seats at the back where you were allowed to stand and listen to the execs talk. And Rafe Blanford was on a special media desk with a, yep. a wired internet connection and a big tray of donuts. Yeah. And we, after the presentation and the security we were on our way, we were allowed to go up and stand near Rafe whilst he concluded his notes taking. Yes. And we were allowed to have some of the donuts he didn't want. Exactly. The photo I have is of Rafe instructing us which end of the tray were the donuts he wasn't going to eat and that we could have. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days. Yeah, I think they were croissants. I'm not sure actually you or I ever actually sat down, Ewan, because we, were, we weren't quite sure if it was allowed, even though the event had concluded. No, the security guy didn't want that. No, we were just visiting. I was always astonished. But, uh, uh, I think we, we talked about this before on the podcast where all the people that knew him, though, because if you're walking around with Rafe Blanford, people would go, oh, that is him. And then it's all the, all the females as well. You know, all the, the Nokia press people, and they would actually say, can I have my photo taken? My job was to take the Nokia phone and then take the photo of him. It was very telling that the security guards didn't believe us that we were actually participating in the media event. But when we said we wanted Rafe's signature, we were allowed up onto the stage to go and collect it. So uh, it was credible. Okay. That's right. Because he was royalty. Okay, you're- Absolute Nokia royalty. And now- The listeners should know that, yeah. This is before. Prone to some exaggeration. The slightly upsetting thing is all of them, apart from the last story about the um, signature, is absolutely true. I do remember you not letting me forget that two of the Rocky people did want to take the photo because they wanted to put it up and show it to their team when they got back to the office. Yeah. I've met Rafe Blanford. It was so embarrassing. And I do remember it wasn't donuts, it was croissants. But I do remember the exclusive seat and I do remember feeling quite smug about it. But you were doing your level best to not look smug, though. Yeah, I was. And I do remember having a conversation with the Nokia team after the event, complaining about the riffraff they'd let up onto the stage. But by that point, you'd actually asked some interesting questions and you were considered middle-tier riffraff, which was enough to get you in. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm going to pause recording when I go off the LinkedIn and update my profile to say middle-tier riffraff. <laughs>
So all of us started off writing about phones out of interest and some more professionally than others. And we've all gone our separate ways. You and to do digital in a bank, Rafe to do digital product. And I'm doing digital consultancy at the moment with the UK government, but previously with US government and other sort of public sector organizations. But we sort of get together and talk about mobile but also the stuff that surrounds it. And the world around it. The world around it. Stay on message, please. So much preamble. Partly hello, new people, because there are some new people and it's hard to know how much context they have about who we are and why they should bother listening. But also some preamble as to why we're going to talk about what we're talking today, because this will go out in a couple of weeks, but we've just finished listening to Apple's uh, April 20th Mm. online keynote address thing, whatever we're calling them now. Mm. And obviously very highly and slickly produced by Apple. But it reminded me of the good old days of going to those events and being sort of very excited about them and then sort of getting together afterwards and trying to work out what did it mean. And I think the exciting thing for me today and what we're going to talk about in today's show is about the stuff that is the world around it, because it really chimed for me. We're not going to talk about computers. We're not going to talk about phones. They're fascinating and we'll come back to them another time, but other podcasts will do you a better service if you want news on that. You would have already listened to that. I was curious about how, when we used to go to events, we were always listening to, here's a device, here's a spec, here is perhaps a service that might, you know, it might back up your photos or something like that. But there was a very right. straight line between what the device did or what they were trying to sell and what the services were. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Apple Card. So Apple mm. now is into financial services. And, and we'll talk about other firms as well, but today's inspired by Apple. We're going to talk about Apple Podcast Subscriptions. So, although not the originator of podcasting per se, Apple popularized podcasts back in the day, and they're now launching a premium podcast subscription. We're going to talk about AirTags and the power of location finding. And finally, we're going to talk about the crossover between iPads and computers as computer chips go into iPads for the first time in name. And we'll come back to that in a second. Mm. But first up, Rafe Blanford, they only have it in the US. Apple have a credit card Mm. with a US bank. And in that respects, I think previously your assessment is that it's a perfectly fine product, but Apple Card has never really knocked anyone's socks off particularly as a product. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, in Europe, we've been probably exposed to more of the fintech startups maybe than in the US, and partly that's about banking compliance and regulation. So I think it was a bit more novel in the US, and, but having the Apple cache attached to it. But in terms of things it was doing, you know, it was a type of Goldman Sachs. It wasn't that special. That in true Apple fashion, they have gradually been adding more services or yes. more reason to use it. I also think the business side of this is fascinating in that it lets Apple have access to more money, which is then sitting, getting interest for them. They are becoming a store of value and all those sorts of things. But maybe we should talk about the updates from today. Hmm. So yeah, Apple Card is a credit card based product. It has points and rewards for various types of shopping and various kind of promotional benefits if you spend with Apple. So far, so good. Installments and so on Installments. as well. Yeah. And that will be fairly routine. I think the design of the apps and the interface that allows you to manage your spend and your balance and those sorts of things is elegant in the way that Apple's normally is. But my take has always been that the best of the fintechs in Europe have at least matched the elegance, particularly as Monzo, Starling, Revolut, you know, just mm. to name the ones that I'm personally familiar with, have iterated their products. They might not have started Apple Elegant, but they've got there pretty quickly. But I think what was interesting today was two things. One was that 
to my mind, they stepped out of the pure credit card space into what they called uh, family sharing. So now you can give an Apple card to a child of 13 or, or older. So now they've stepped into mm. financial services for children, obviously paired up with a, a parent's card and with the adult controls. And then also they've talked about shared credit scores. And when the Apple card launched, although, Rafe, I think this was a Goldman Sachs problem at the time, the credit scoring produced some interesting results. And because people mm. were so keen to have the Apple product, it made some people um, fairly vocal about the fact that it appeared to be scoring, in most of the examples that were cited, husband and wife couples. But I, I don't know whether or not that was true of, of other couples or other groups of people as well. It's just what was reported. Yeah. It's the way it was reported yeah. as a, allowing the husband, particularly I'm thinking of uh, DHH, and I always struggle with his surname. Come on, he's a Danish chap. Um, you and the chap behind Basecamp and hey, David Hass. Oh, that guy. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, we all know who you mean. Well, I was going to say we'll put it in in post, but we won't. But um, <laughs> basically, D David, one of the founders of Basecamp, who's a very vocal Apple critic, but also, you know, sort of involved in product design himself. Heinemeyer Hansen. Heinemeyer Hansen, that's it, yeah. He said, effectively, that he and his wife had equal financial standing, shared finances, similar incomes, similar financial history, and he was sort of gently chiding them that he'd been given quite a high credit limit and she hadn't and was suggesting that there was some kind of disparity that was based on, mm. you know, kind of treating uh, spouses or secondary card holders as second-class citizens. And that's been addressed today with outright shared credit scores where people can pool their credit and share that as a family. So two questions, probably in reverse, Ewan. Mm. The move to sharing perhaps shows Apple directly responding to public criticism. I mean, you couldn't draw a much more straight line from the public criticism they endured when they launched that product to what Tim Cook said in the launch video today, Yes, which was almost a sort of a line by line, we've heard the criticism and we've addressed it by changing the product, which is great, but it's pretty unusual for Apple. So do you think that there's some other forces at play here in terms of the regulatory pressure they're under, or maybe as they step into new markets, they tread on some landmines, you know, think in terms of customers' expectations? Look, nothing's ever easy in, in these, these kind of situations when they're introducing new services globally. Uh, well, okay, the Apple Card in particular is only available in the States at the minute, but you know, I'm thinking of Apple Maps. Yep. It works perfectly in San Francisco and the Bay Area. <laughs> it works perfectly between Tim's house and Apple Campus. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But then, you know, it doesn't quite work. Again, the phones aren't tested in real life situations or weren't in the past because they were trying to keep the design secret and so on, then they discover issues when they go to launch it. But this is, I think, these are teething issues of a massive, massive, massive company. Now then they're, they're into financial services, and then there are some very binary realities with financial services that require particular methods you know, that, that have not been changed for quite a while. So when you've got a big, big company coming together with a, with a big, big bank, yeah, you know, these unpredictable mistakes have happened. Fine, right? But then it's it's good that they then say, "Well, hold on a minute, let's change it." But it's it's companies of Apple scale, and the, the way that they do their deals with their partners are such that they say it will be this way. If it's anyone else, the partners, uh, you know, they, they say, "No, no, no, it doesn't work that way." If it's Apple, they say, "No, no, 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 wait, wait, wait." The customer wants it this way, and then the bank or the network provider or whoever it just says, "Okay," right? Because that's the deal. That's the deal. 
and Apple, they can call that level of influence. Can you name another financial provider that does? The, I, I'm trying to think. You know, joint accounts, yes, but typically speaking, even if you're going for a joint mortgage, depending on the on the um, bank and the, the regulator of the country, you're assessed individually, right? So it's really interesting what Apple's doing there. Well, I was curious, Rafe, that this seemed to be the first time Apple was directly addressing the criticism because. Goldman Sachs had commented closer to the time that the original story came out and said, actually, it's unfortunate that these two people had this experience, but there are reasons and the credit scoring works correctly and, you know, no fault. And they, they might have been, I don't know, but they might have been right in fact, but wrong in public perception because 12 months later, Apple has changed the product. And I was just curious whether or not you thought this was a change in tone of voice from them, Rafe. I think it's hard to say that. I think Apple have tried to be more responsive. I would probably position it more as Ewan was suggesting that Apple has a lot of influence to change things, but we're seeing increasingly rather than doing it through hardware, they're doing it through what you know service as defined by the software and the things that happen there. In this case, I suspect there's quite a lot of backstage work in order to get those shared credit scores working. But you know, you wouldn't have expected Apple to be the thing that might help you build credit scores, which is you know a big thing in some countries, particularly where credit cards predominate. Also, it reminds me of Apple Pay when they were bringing that in and said it's going to work this way and a lot mm. of the banks were kind of anti it and then they didn't want to be left behind. And so I think it's an encouraging thing. I still don't think there's that much to really make the Apple card that attractive, but it's starting to head that way because you then wonder about this kind of Apple family, and they've got this family share concept in other places, and it starts mm-hmm. to provide locking to get all your family onto yes. Apple devices. And, you know, the financial instrument and being able to control children's spending and all of that sort of thing is actually an interesting place to do that. They've done it around content, and that's been mm-hmm. quite successful. iMessage has been in the news recently because of that as locking and not making that available on Android. And so I think it is a combination of them listening to some of the feedback. And let's be really clear financial services basing credit scores off algorithms and data are inherently biased and there is definitely a diverse inequality challenge there it's not just husband wife you've also seen it with ethnic minorities background and all sorts of things i don't think we have anything like the knowledge to be able to comment on that but that is going to be one of the big challenges of the next 10 years there's going to be more and more algorithms and data that is fundamentally unfair because it's making assumptions based off kind of policy models and you can there's all kinds of writing around that but for me it's more interesting that apple is looking to move this on and i'm assuming there will be software that shows spending starts to do more tracking and that lock-in and all that connecting together and changing the value because i think the other thing about apple card is it then makes the whole payment system end-to-end apple you're not having to work with a bank in the same way and so the way that apple pay has gone into the browser and all those sort of things Really interesting. Can I just ask one little question? Just a quick one. Who do you bank with? Or who, who, what, sorry, who is your first bank? And listeners, play along. Who is your first bank? Let's just see how this works. Just name, name you know, what was your first bank? I'm with Barclays. Barclays. Monzo in the UK? No, first bank. Oh, sorry, you mean first ever bank? Um, yeah. Halifax is a building society here in the UK. Right. Okay. Now, uh, and listeners, if you play along, think who was your first bank? Now, nine times out of 10, depending on the market you're in, that's because your parents introduce you to that bank. Now, is that accurate with you guys or no? I 
think. Yeah. Hmm. Obviously, yes, introduced by parents, but actually I think it was because they had a really good children's product. And we've run out of time to talk about this, but actually jumping ahead to anticipating what your question was, mm. I'm wondering about whether or not this is the early entrance into financial education and financial products for young people, because it's endorsed by the parents, but also going sideways. When you're 13, you've got an Apple card, what are you going to have when you're 18? Precisely. Because the other cards are going to have to compete with this, this experience, which is very difficult. But also there's that perception that Apple, whether or not you agree with it, Apple tells you that it always does the right thing for the user. Yeah. And over the last couple of years, there's been a bit of a recurring theme where demonstrably they haven't, like mm. unfair credit scores, lack of access to products, products that remain broken for long periods of time and you know those sorts of things. And I wondered if this was the beginning of a turning of a tail because when you start to try and market products to children, you really need that perception to be 100%. Apple does the right thing for the user all the time because there's, in fact, what is best for children, but there's also the confidence barrier for people to buy. And that's often a larger hurdle than actually the fitness of the product. So that was curious. You know, the world around it, who would have thought when we sat on that beach in Cannes at the end of that media conference all those years ago that we would have been talking about financial services? Because we might have all been interested in what was the best bank, but I didn't see any of the players that we were talking about then Nokia, Sony Ericsson, Apple, BlackBerry, and all the software ecosystems around those. I didn't see any of them becoming financial services providers like this. No. Maybe in the enterprise space, but not like this. Well, I think there was Nokia Money, which was big in some of the emerging markets. But actually, that's the point. There was a lot of service activity, and it's interesting we're still now talking about that, but it's taken a long time to get it. And actually, I think we see that in a couple more announcements that Apple made, one of which is around audio. Yeah, Rafe Blanford with the segue. Okay, yes, next up, we're going to talk about Apple Podcast subscriptions. Yes. We have to declare a bit of bias of our own here, because I don't know if you noticed, but actually I'm, um, I quite enjoy making a podcast. Really? Me too. Oh, right. This one? The only one, yeah. Yeah, this is a podcast, Ewan. It's not just you ranting into a microphone. <laughs> Ten years later, the dawning realisation that other people have been listening to these conversations dawns on what? you and McLeod. <laughs> And another thing. <laughs> yes. yeah. Just need to go back and retrospectively redact some of the things I said. Yes. So, yep, Apple has launched podcast subscriptions. Unfortunately, from a product perspective, there's lots of I don't knows because hmm. what we do know is it's going to cost about, uh, I think it's £18 in the UK, about $20 in the US in order for you as a creator to sign up to the platform. There's a new publishing platform that allows creators to set their own fees and it's a monthly subscription with a monthly or an annual payment. The language to me looks a lot like in-app subscriptions for mm. apps and looks like it's managed similarly. There's not a lot of clarity yet, and I think Apple's press release sort of skates over the issue in terms of availability about whether or not people who don't use iOS devices will be able to access these podcasts because, of course, mm. there will need to be some kind of billing and authentication. And I cannot imagine that they will exclude everybody except iPhone listeners from this because when you look at the stable of publishers that they are announcing there's NPR, there's Los Angeles Times, yeah. the Spiegel from Germany. Mm. And, and actually, I think in the other, some of the other details, there's, e there's even more kind of professional podcast outfits that you would recognize. And those are not people who are going to only publish to an iPhone audience. So we have to assume that there will be some cross-platform piece. Mm. But I, it's very notable. Oh, Radiotopia. There we go. I'm right. kicking myself. Radiotopia, popular podcast network in the US who produce mm. a number of very long-running podcasts with mm. professional podcast creators what were you going to do with us by the way are we, is that a 361 premium subscription coming well 
we, I mean, obviously, we already have Patreon supporters. I don't know. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I'm not sure that we necessarily meet the criteria to get value out of this product because it does look like you need sort of hundreds or thousands of paying subscribers, and that's not a model that we've ever tried to follow. No. But I'm curious, though, about whether or not this is something that Apple should be trying to monetize because thus far they've been relatively good custodians of podcasting. Mm. They popularized the format. However, ugly it is. They included it in iTunes and all the various versions, and they've made a podcast app ever since. Yeah. And they make their podcast directory accessible, you know, reluctantly so, but they make it accessible to third-party providers. So often if you're in a podcast app and you browse a directory of podcasts to subscribe from, nine times out of 10, that's drawn from Apple's directory and uses their data that they collate. Mm. And there's a few extra things you have to do to publish your podcast to be listed in their catalog, but it's broadly open source. And this feels like the first step across the monetization where other players are trying to do this, Spotify and Anchor and a number of other yes. publishers are. Yes. So I suppose first question, Rafe Blanford, why? Because there's always this old adage that Tim Cook doesn't go into a market he can't make a billion dollars from. <laughs> and if we accept that he's not making a billion dollars from 361 podcast. Not yet. Every time, is anybody going to make big money out of monetizing podcasts by scraping 30% or whatever it will be off or $20 a year plus presumably some take on the monthly revenue? Well, we talked last week about the kind of boom in kind of audio social networks and we posited that the valuation for those seemed a bit insane. But again, it's about the kind of share of media attention and podcasts have definitely something that's come up, especially during the last year in lockdown. And they are a medium that lends itself to kind of multitasking. You can do something else while doing podcasting. So it's quite a nice way to get more media consumption into your day. And relatively speaking, they have been not that heavily monetized. We have seen more coming last year. Certainly when we started, it was still, you know, it felt like a bit like the early days of the web where everything mm. was being done for free. There wasn't that much around monetization. And we've never really gone down that route ourselves in a serious way, but clearly some have. And it's, you know, in that sense, new radio. And we know how much advertising was put against radio. There's still a lot there. And so I think for Apple, this is about a way to increase their kind of service revenue. And they have had a lot of success out of the App Store and in-app purchases. And, you know, it costs money to maintain the podcast, the director and all of that. I don't think that's on their mind at all. But I think it is a way to increase the average revenue per user that they're getting. And so this is a thing whose time it's come. And they kind of have all the framework in place whether that's Apple Pay to make an in-app purchase to make that kind of one click a big enough share and attention as we're talking about with the banks that they can kind of move the market on this. And so it's almost a why leave money on the table? But I think it'll be interesting to see just how exclusive or easy this is for Apple. I suspect it's going to be easier as an Apple phone owner and an Apple user to use this than if you're trying to get it from Android or anyone else so again it's about frictionless kind of commerce and frictionless services and you know why would you not go after this which will provide another lock-in and we've seen spotify launch podcasts as well and they're looking at premium options as well and there are various other options apple again kind of wanting to own the entire experience and the entire stack and podcasts are something that have just become much more popular in the last few years i think driven by 
the kind of creator economy and podcasts in particular do feel like they have lower barriers to entry. So there has been a bit of an explosion of that content creation. It's interesting that Spotify have tried to monetize podcasts by wrapping them in advertising or wrapping them in subscriptions, a single one-off subscription. And here, Apple is trying to sort of make it like an in-app purchase, but Mm. most of these publishers are going to have to maintain their own advertising catalogs and insert their own ads using their own technology in order to generate revenue for themselves because none of the examples given I think are going to be exclusively premium so it'll be a premium channel or a premium version of an existing podcast or an ad-free version of a podcast or a podcast with benefits where you might get additional content which was Mm. I mean it's not what we do with Patreon but oftentimes that's how Patreon works where you log into Patreon and you can get the behind the scenes video or the freebies or something like that. Yeah. So I'm curious what opportunity they see here. Isn't it just bundle? As, just as Riff is saying, I think there's, there's a whole lot, lot of reasons that they should do this. Not least because their podcast thing capability has been a little bit weak. Well, I but mean, now this is them moving into it. I agree. And you know, one thing that Apple does very well is spot things in the market that aren't necessarily new but existing then do them well wrap them up nicely make them beautiful you know it's done that in lots of places and, and you know i think the podcast subscriptions we'll have to see how it comes out and i'm sure we'll come back to this but actually there was another example of them doing this and i'm talking about air tags here mm. you know tile and others have been around for ages i mean i think maybe not quite going back 10 years but certainly that kind of technology through bluetooth le and they have put their own twist on it as we'll talk about in a minute but be interested to hear your take on AirTags, Ben, because I think this also connects into a wider ecosystem where Apple have approached it slightly differently with the Find My and the things that mm. we could talk about there. So to give the details, I think it's uh, $29 for one of these, $99 they'll be available to buy next week. That seems pretty competitive against other products in the marketplace. But what's the Apple take on this? Yeah, well, let's move on then, talk mm. about AirTags. I think we'll circle back and talk about podcasts when there's more information available. I'm just looking at the screenshots here, trying to elicit any pricing. And there's some, but not enough for us to make an informed view Mm. about, but really curious about that. Yep, AirTags is the next thing to talk about. As Rafe said, $29 for one, $99 for four. That turns into sterling pricing, £29 and £99, I think, with some comparatively high-priced leather accessories to attach them to your key ring and your bags and those sorts of things in typical Apple accessory style. I am actually quite excited about these. And I think this is a classic example, Rafe, I think I'm stealing what you said in a previous podcast about the unfair advantage that Apple has by using the whole of its ecosystem. Because I'm a big tile user. I've got one in my wallet, one on my keys, one on my car keys, which is separate. My wife has similar number of devices in purses and keys and handbags. I put one on the boys' school bag tied on with a holder as well. Basically, lots of things where you know, you're trying to find things in a hurry, things go missing, or they don't have a regular home where they get put down. And, and so you know, they've, they've got us out of trouble a lot of times, and it's a really handy convenience feature, but they do only work in the home, and they do only work yeah. really kind of when you're close to them. It's great because it quickly tells you that they're in the office, not in the key drawer or in your mm. coat pocket or in your work bag. But actually, I think, the notable difference of what Apple have done with AirTags here is twofold. One is to integrate with the U1 chip, which is in newer devices, which allows some direction finding. With Tile, you can say it's within radio distance and you can make it go ping, but 
air tags will allow you to have a directional arrow that shows you which direction from you the device is. And lots of people assume that Tile will do that, but it can't and the technology doesn't support it. And then secondly, it's integration with the Find My platform. So we're all familiar with Find My Phone, which has been around Mm. for a while. And now I don't know what Apple are calling it properly, but what we call in our house Find My People, which is basically find a friend. Where are all the other people I'm linked up to? And now that's being rolled out to third-party devices and um, there are bikes and other things announced. But this will mean that if Ewan is standing in the office with his iPhone and I've left my keys on the desk and I'm at home and I search, I find my keys, it will utilize the whole of the network of iPhones. Yeah, Ewan's phone will see those keys anonymously in an, in an encrypted form, mm. report it back and allow me to locate them. Now there's there's lots of questions about how effectively that will work and whether or not you will need to opt in or out in order to discover things and what the privacy uh, implications are. I mean, the suggestion is that Ewan wouldn't have any part of that transaction and that I wouldn't know Correct. that Ewan found it in order that you, know, you could have those unpleasant side effects of disclosing people's location. But mm. undoubtedly, there'll always be more complicated cases to think about. But I think these are great. They're, of course, they're expensive. Tile does do this as well, but much less, you know, because it has to be, they have to be Tile customers. The network effect. With the app running on it. This is the net, the part of the network effect that anyone with an iPhone with Find My Active, Apple are very good, generally speaking, with their privacy, right? So they will have engineered this to deal with all these issues. And as you correctly say, the Tile product does have this network effect in, but I've never got that to work in a timely fashion because, as you say, somebody has to pass by long enough to detect the tile device and for the device to register it because of course tile isn't built into the iphone to be running constantly Mm. so it's only triggered occasionally much you know there was a hot debate about these covid apps about would people use the apple frameworks and the google frameworks or would they build their own and Mm. background scanning is something that you need to do in conjunction with apple if you want to be doing it consistently and reliably and so i've frequently had pings where devices i've reported as lost have been seen by other tile customers but days later and with such latency that the data is Mm, no use to mm. me so i think this is running persistently in the background i'm actually quite excited about this but direction finding is a really useful upgrade but actually as you say rafe it's that thing that no one else can do this i mean i'm going to willingly plunk down 99 quid for four because nobody else will be able to make a better version of this unless it's google on on an android device exactly what does that mean for all of your... Are you going to upgrade? Yep. Yeah, you just got to get rid of all the tiles. I'll replace them as they expire, you know. Right. Okay. It's the totality of the experience. I mean, the other thing is Apple have looked at this quite carefully. They've included a speaker, so it'll make a, a sound when you press on it. It's a user-replaceable battery. The battery lasts a year, but that wasn't the case with early tiles. It is now. And that direction finding, it's using ultra-wideband technology, which is basically just uh, radio signals across lots of frequency but it's still based on bluetooth le that ultra wideband only kicks in when you need to find something the other thing that's interesting about that that works pretty well through walls inside and so you'll get that kind of precision location it's using nfc to make the pairing super simple so you'll be able to get this going and all of those bits of technology we probably care about as geeks but what it translates to is the actual customer experience of this is probably going to be better than any other kind of location tag on the market and so i think this you know air tags have been rumored for ages apple's been talking about them and they've been on the apple blogs for a long time i suspect this is one of those occasions where 
Apple have chosen to enter at the point where it thinks it can stand out a bit, have a bit of differentiation. And again, because it's starting to see more of this happen, the killer feature here is absolutely that network effect of being able to use all the iPhones worldwide to pick up a bag. And this is the classic kind of you've left your bag in the airport, you can't quite remember where it is. You'll be able to find out in a useful degree of time, not sort of half an hour so you miss your flight or whatever else like that. Or, you know, most lost items, it's not being stolen, it's left somewhere or it's slipped out of your pocket yeah, and forgotten. being able to go back and get your keys that you've left accidentally in the pub. That's great. And that's where I think this stands out. So I'm kind of with Ben, I think I'm going to be investing in these and getting a four pack. They're also relatively small. So it just ticks a lot of boxes. There's also an interesting note in here and that Apple have also said all the communication is encrypted end to end. So across all of these services, we are seeing Apple talk about the importance of security and personal things, not doing advertising all the things it would describe as being user-friendly behavior and probably trying to contrast itself with Facebook, Google, and others, and Spotify, you know, we talked about that, being a bit hostile to users. I think Apple is a little bit uh, self-serving when it talks about it mm. in that way, but it is a pretty attractive thing to market to customers who are perhaps less price conscious and do care about those kind of elements. And in the same way, it put environment as the first thing on the event keynote, which was you know, something that a lot of people do, but Apple seemed to get a disproportionate amount of credit for it. Ewan, I was curious that they didn't just launch the AirTags as a product. Hey, Apple does this. They've launched a platform and they announced the platform a few weeks ago with third-party products from the get-go, including mm-hmm. Chipolo tags, which are, I think, are functionally similar, if not identical to AirTags, but with the bikes and with... um Oh gosh, there was something else as well, and it's come cleaning got out of my head. But there were three products that they announced at that time, and I think what was um, oh the Van Moof uh, bicycles, right? The Chipolo chips, and there was one others which will come back to me. But interestingly, we talk in one breath about using the unfair advantage of the Apple ecosystem, but also they open it up just enough to perhaps now stay the right side of regulatory challenges and, and the claim of them being monopolistic in their behaviours. Several people have sort of speculated about that in, in terms of. They recently reduced the amount of money they take from developers in the App Store after yep. a certain amount of time. And was that an early sign of a slight change in behavior after the scrutiny, particularly in the US, in various yeah. political settings? What do you think? You know, to me, this, this has the whiff of Apple sort of being a, a platform play out of necessity rather than out of user benefit. I think this is it, right? Because the one thing that will strike fear and yet serious, serious, significant fear into the hearts of not just Apple, but Silicon Valley here, is any, any regulation, any break apart, any monopolistic issues. And I think you've got it right there, Ben, when you say just enough, yeah. just enough, right? This company makes money, right? It's heavily focused on selling iPhones and all, all of these very, very profitable devices. And we've seen the alleged abuse, you know, I think from Apple's point of view, they're taking steps to protect their market. But then, you know, from the third party individuals, of which there are quite a few examples in all different markets, you know, from the app store through to you know, third party devices and so on, where Apple simply said, no, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> Why? And it looks, looks like, allegedly, because Apple doesn't want that, right? No. So I think it's smart what they're doing, you know, opening up just a little bit. I think we should expect to see more of this. But, you know, again, 
what are you, what are the individuals going to do? I'm going to walk in and buy four of these, stick them in. They'll just work. This is great. Move on. They choose quite carefully where they do it. Um, and it's interesting, Tard had already kind of filed a competitive complaint against Apple in this space. But by letting the doorway open in some places, they kind of do head off some of that regulatory threat. But also, mm. where it makes sense, it's actually good for them to have that bigger ecosystem. And you, yes. know, you could look at the App Store in general around that, but they carefully selected partners through the Made for IDFO program. And I think the third one you were thinking of was Belkin's Soundform wireless earbuds and it being built into that. And that's interesting to me. I think that's the first time Apple have ever acknowledged that things other than AirPods exist as well. It's very exciting. <laughs> well, exactly. But I'm also willing to bet that you will see this U1 chip built into future versions of the AirPods Pro or whatever it happens mm. to be and other accessories going forward. Like I bet your future MacBooks and things like that have this. Well, the AirPods Max already show up and AirPods actually already show up on Find My. Now it's accrued. When did this device last see them? Last see it. Mm. But because the AirPods Max particularly retain a low power state, the frequency with which your phone sees them, even when they're not in use, I'm waving them around like it matters um, in a, on an audio That's podcast. That's really helpful, really helpful. Yeah, just to help Rafe understand the point I'm trying to make. Mm. The data is actually quite up to date. But yes, I agree. The next AirPods, and particularly the case, has to have a U1 capability built in. Yeah. And those things, and yet that means they can kind of be tighter in other areas where they maybe have more reasons to be concerned from a, a competitive point of view. And we mentioned iMessage earlier, maybe it's that one, or maybe it's um, something else. And sort of, you know, for a company that sort of talks about consumer choice, there is still a lot of gating that goes on. And, you know, people talk about the ability to sideload an app because, oh, no, no, we're doing that for you, benefit for security reasons. But I know I don't think that they are universally a kind of utopian all world doing everything for the right reason, but it just shows some very smart thoughts and thinking that goes into that. It just works, right? And it feels like we're coming across as kind of Apple fanboys here, but no, that's been. You could admire the strategy that underlies it, but I also completely appreciate, and I think people are coming to realise this more and more that Apple is absolutely a walled garden of a different kind. And that, you know, that balance between doing things that are good for customers, as they say, or things that are good for Apple is going to bear careful watching in the future because they've stumbled a few times. And I think the recent controversy over the App Store is a great example of that, where they seem to be shutting people out that everyone said, oh, that's, that's, that's not fair. That's not quite right. I wonder if that will happen in the hardware space or services. That's the thing to watch out for. Because so much of that is software defined, it makes it very easy for them to move. And because they've got a good pattern of updating all of their hardware, all of their mm. software on a regular basis, they can actually move their entire base very quickly to introduce something new. And that could be a choose the browser that you prefer or choose your preferred email client. And so that nimble and flexibility is something because they've retained control of that full stack actually means they can also change where their goalposts sit compared to one of their competitors more easily. So again, you know, you admire how much thought and how much of that is accident. Probably harder to say. Okay, so late breaking change. I've decided to unilaterally change the running order of the podcast. We're going to abandon the M1 inside an iPad, which we'll come back to in a future episode, mm. because I just wanted to conclude the episode with some reflections on those changes and how they now contrast Apple to their largest competitors. And I would say that would be the Android device manufacturers. And let's talk about 
Samsung as a firm that has an ecosystem and Google that has mm. a firm that has an ecosystem, although I acknowledge that those are not the only or indeed the largest Android manufacturers. Other vendors are available. And other vendors are available. Well, I think the other big one you talk about is in the China market, the kind of the non-Google versions of Android that are increasingly sophisticated yeah. from an ecosystem, Xiaomi or whichever one you want to go for. Mm. Yeah. Again, I only exclude that due to lack of personal knowledge rather than relevance, because that's not a market that I have personal exposure to. But what I was really curious was, it feels to me like the point of being able to line up the Apple ecosystem and the Google ecosystem, or at least the Android ecosystem, and say, here are like-for-like, comparison-by-comparison, product-by-product almost, identical things, everything from smart speakers through to earbuds through to smart devices and tablets and a voice assistant and a photo store. And I mean, I could go on and on, but you you take my point. But as Apple starts to go sideways into looking at exploiting its ecosystem, kind of back to our motto, you know, and the world around it, rather than just the pure hardware, Mm. do you think we're going to see any divergence in in approach? Because we saw Apple Pay and Samsung Pay, for example, and I was always curious as to how that would roll out, you know, how that financial services would get deployed through Android. But do you think we could ever see effectively Google or Samsung trying to offer financial services like the Apple Card or trying to low-level integrate things like the Find My system? Because, Rafe, it was what you were saying about the speed of movement. Because could Google build the technology behind these products, for example? Yeah, they absolutely could. But could they bring the whole Android ecosystem with them? Could they launch a financial services product that is to the consumer rather than to the merchant, you know, which I get the impression is where Google Pay is. So, Rafe, what do you think? Well, I'd have two responses to that, one of which Apple's service provision is not universal. We made a point about the card is only available in the US. Hmm. And actually, there's only a limited number of markets where Apple is a dominant player, as in 50% of the market. And you can talk about the UK and the US are probably best example of that. There are a, a few more. You get into other European markets, the iOS represents about 10% and actually Android is bigger. I will say Android is fragmented, but in some places like the Samsung ecosystem is dominant as you go to China and talk about those ones. And so I think it's not quite as simple to say Apple is all encompassing everywhere. There's definitely variation and, and level of services. And I think that's reflected also very much in the services because they are tied to geography Sometimes for very good reasons, sometimes basically because of archaic licensing reasons, you know, Apple TV and own content and music and all of that. Don't need to go into detail. I think Google will absolutely go after it and so will Samsung because there is a recognition that the differentiation and the value of a device, and let's call it smart devices, sit in those. And But it goes beyond the iPhone. It will be the next generation of things. And whether that's AR glasses or something else or everything living in a browser, no, no. And actually, as we are talking, like just a few days ago, TechCrunch reported on a Google card and had obtained imagery. It's a bit of a leak of its own physical and virtual debit cards. Mm. There's not a lot of information about this, but it seems to suggest it's branded with different bank partners, including City and Standard Federal Credit Union. Not much on how wide it's going to be available, but they absolutely will go after that. And of course, Android might not be able to roll out to everyone at the same time, but they are by far the biggest of the mobile ecosystems. And so I don't think I can accurately say, you know, what level they're able to get to to be comparable. 
you know, people would push back and say Apple has higher revenue per user, better for developers and things like that. But it's hard to bet against sheer volume at the end of the day. And Google might take a bit longer to get there. How much does that really matter? How many people adopt the Apple services in the first month, in the first 12 months, in the first 24 months? You go and talk to your friends and family. Not everyone will be on Apple TV. Not everyone downloads loads of apps and all those kind of things. So I think Apple's challenge in the next few years will be how does it keep innovating and pushing when just as happened in hardware, like the differences, the incremental improvements kind of got small enough to people to stop caring to some extent. And that never goes away completely. But I think compared to when we first started the show where there were big noticeable improvements, is the same going to happen to services and software in the next few years? And I'm not sure I can make the call on that yet. But I think because they'll want to keep up with other hardware, and I think if anything, what we'll see is a fragmentation of your personal computing space. We're already seeing that things like AirPods and Siri integration. We'll see that with AR glasses. And so Apple is going to have to constantly push on that and Google will have to constantly push on that. And it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think Apple continues to have first mover advantage and I don't see that going away. But in the end game, it's not always the first mover that ends up being dominant. Can I answer the question in a slightly different way with a a, a tiny story? Because I think Rafe has done the sensible, proper answer. So here I am, I'll typecast to give you a different view. Here in Oman, Android is about 77% market share. So my primary handset is an Android handset, just so I'm living the experience. But I'm a big Apple fan. And I think there's a lot to be said for it just works. This is the benefit of Apple, right? They work really, 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 really hard to make the thing work. So when we talk about extending ecosystems, I have confidence in it. I have enough confidence to say to my parents, yes, go and get some AirPods. Right now, 10 years ago, it would, I would say, wait, 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 wait. Let me come over. I'll buy it. Okay. I'll, I, yeah, or, or you buy it, but don't touch it. Don't touch it because I'll come over and we'll do the fiddly, fiddly installation and I'll just make it work. And I, I have confidence that you just press a button, the thing opens, it works. Now, today, I'm on a conference call, a really important conference call, serious people. And I need to move away from my desk and I was on a wired headset. So I bring up my Android phone and I load Teams because I'm on Teams on the desktop. I then just transfer the audio over to the phone so I can hear them talking. I can hear the conversation going. I put myself onto mute. I can hear the conversation on the phone. I then grab my very, very fancy, because I'm using a Samsung Android phone, my Samsung Galaxy Earbuds Lite Live, whatever, right? It's the branding that does it for me, actually, every time. Yeah, exactly. I put them in, um, and I hear the bubble. Yeah, right. Uh, so good. That's they're, they're active, and all of a sudden, "Girls Aloud" starts playing. It's the sound of the underground at the loudest possible. Your absolute favorite. Well, I just listened to some random eighty, uh, uh, not nineties, but nineties pop. Right. Okay. And that 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 one started playing. He said defensively. <laughs> defensively, exactly. It actually was a good tune. Right. Actually. Now that starts playing. And I'm thinking, oh my God, and it's, but it starts playing out the phone. I've got my, my earphones in. Right? Now, then I can't hear. I put the Galaxy things in and I realize that Teams is just playing out the phone. The music, right, which coincidentally was Apple Music, is playing out the phone. And I've got my headset in, right? So I then take them off, put them in again. Yeah, come on, come on, right? 
And then I'm fiddling to trying to switch off this thing because everyone in the office is going, What's, what are you doing? Right. And we're in Ramadan at the minute. Yeah. So we're not really into playing music loudly. Right. Okay. That's not good either. My whole point in this story, in order to make the thing work so I could actually walk away from my desk, I had to reset Teams on the app, just close everything. So I missed part of the conversation, take the things off, put them in again. Ah, right. And this is why I have a Samsung Galaxy, whatever it's called, top of the range watch. Android Watch. I used it for two days. Right? I've got the Galaxy Buds live. They're very nice. But why doesn't it work? Now, the, the Samsung will say, well, wait, wait a minute. That's a third party app. We don't control Teams. Because once I reset Teams, once I switched Teams off, closed it, ran it again, took the earbuds out, put them in again, then it worked. Okay. But goodness me, can't you get the thing working? And the answer is no. No. Right, because it's so fragmented. So this is the problem that Google have got. This is the problem that Samsung have got. If you want to have Samsung Pay or Huawei Pay or whoever Pay, it's all fragmented. And so for people like us, that is individuals, westernized individuals that have developed that it just works fanaticism, right? Ben being the standout poster boy for this. <laughs> and me too, right? Personal brand, yeah. I like that it just works. This is where Apple's very well positioned. Yeah, and I... Don't disagree with you because although Apple's saying it just works, there's plenty of examples where it doesn't just work. But on balance, for me, it just works more frequently. You know, the, the Apple's yeah. not impervious to. Or they fix it quickly, but they have an obsession over making sure that. Absolutely. It is a core value. And, and, and oftentimes, I think sometimes when people are pointing out that it doesn't just work, what they mean is it doesn't just work as they expect it to. Apple thinks yes. it works just fine. Thank you very much. And yes. that's where you have to. Decide you've got to fit around Apple, exactly. You're in or out. Yeah. But again, I think you make the point well, actually, which is it's quite hard to describe that it just works. Apple captured that phrase, but it's quite hard to understand whether all these products, whether all of this ecosystem will work together nicely. And when I bought my iPhone and my iPad, I didn't think, oh, one day they'll release an AirTag and that will let me find the AirTag with direction finding, which will be more mm. convenient than Tile. And I didn't anticipate how all of the various benefits of these products would interplay. So it's quite a hard thing to market. But I'd say to date, one of the difficulties has been that actually none of the ecosystems has clearly had a, a difference in it just worksness. You know, they, they all have their strengths and their weaknesses. Mm. And you explained, you know, the Galaxy experience there with handling and routing audio and, and mm. changing and things like that. But similarly, I can do payments with my phone. I can do direction finding. I've got Google Maps, which is probably the best in class. You know, mm. If I was having a navigation experience, I might argue that the Android device was the best mm. and that I was frustrated that Apple wanted to push me to their inferior Maps product you know, all the time. So I'm just curious how that plays out and whether or not these non-hardware things predominantly will make a difference. I guess we'll watch and wait and find out. Indeed. Anyways, uh, we uh, run out of time. Thank you for indulging us as we talk about something that's just happened for us and will have happened some time ago. So a lot of this will have been better understood by the time the show goes out. But um, this is back to the what are they doing and why chats that we used to have about Nokia and BlackBerry back in the day, because I think mm. this is, the, for me, this is the more interesting stuff. It's the whole ecosystem, the whole big picture. I don't know. I'm sitting here with several tabs open. It's probably a good job that... Uh, Orders aren't live for some of these products today. You'd have bought them already. Just some cooling off time to relax and, uh, and be calm. But and then you can buy. Then, then I can buy. Yes. But yeah, as ever, 
we'd be grateful for your feedback at 361podcast on Twitter, 361podcast.com. You can contact us, give us any feedback, make any show suggestions, ask us questions for our forthcoming one question, three answers format shows, which we'll be continuing to do this season. Mm -hmm. Rafe Blanford continues to offer a postcard service in true analog fashion. If you leave us a podcast review and then send us a link to it, either by email or social media so that we can link the review to you could be one on a review on Apple Podcasts or it could be on any of the other directories. Just send us a link. All we need to be able to do is to see it. Rafe Blanford will hook you up with a top-of-the-line postcard inscribed in his own handwriting. and Handwritten. Handwritten. If your review is funny enough, we'll read them out here because some of them last time were scathing but hilarious and they're, they're my favourite. <laughs> they are my absolute favourite. The ones that criticise you and for being a uh, jumped up and opinionated, I think, was the quote I enjoyed most. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of water has gone under the bridge since then. (laughs) So, as ever, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your kind comments about the show last season. Thank you for your welcome backs. Please stay in touch with us on social media. And thank you to all our Patreon subscribers. You can go to uh, 361podcast.com slash support to see how to support the cost of production of the show if you'd like to. Thanks to everybody who does that and makes this possible. Right, we will be back in about two weeks. I don't know what we're talking about. I think it'll be time for a one question, three answers, Mm. but we will announce that on social media as we go. Agile. We'll do it agile. Agile. Yep, flexible. Agile, which is code for having decided yet. Yep. So we'll get on it. Yep. Okay, gentlemen, good night. Bye-bye. Goodbye. And thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay, right, let's do an intro. Mm. Hello and welcome to 361. Oh yeah, because it's not my turn this week, is it? Because I did it last week. Is it uh, Zero Takes Ewan? You started, so it should be Zero Takes Ewan, yeah. Oh, okay. Hello and welcome to the... I have to write, have to write it down now, because in order to maintain my Zero Take... Um, take two. Reality. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the podcast and the mobile around it. <laughs> take three. Let me open up Word and I'll type it out. Open up Word. There is someone who's been soaked in enterprise juice for too long, isn't it? Yeah. I need to write some words. Microsoft Word. Just use Ben's Etherpad. No writing could be done anywhere other than a word processor. We're, we're all literally looking at Etherpad. A podcast about, what is it, a podcast about more? Mobile technology in the world around it. Is it Welcome to 361, a podcast? Yes. Or the podcast? A. Uh, it's a. The oh. only podcast about mobile technology and 361. And podcast. And, <laughs> and the world around, around, around it. Take four. My name's Ewan McLeod. Take five. Uh, I'm Ra- Rafi B. Landford. Yep. And I'm here too. Uh, and I, I'm Ben. There's another person. And I'm Ben Smith. Um, this week, oh, this is, this is episode two. Season 20, episode two. Yeah, yeah really? I think so. Do you want, are you ready to have a, a crack? Yeah. Go on then, have a stab at that then. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. My name's Ewan McLeod. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ben Smith. This is season two, episode two, and this... <laughs> oh, Not zero who takes. Who wrote that down? Wait a minute. No, no, no. We're still on zero takes because you didn't write down the right season 20. Is it 21? 20. Is Microsoft Word not in collaboration mode? It's collaborative editing. You didn't write the right season number. So what is it? Season season 20. 20. 20. Come on, Ewan. Get with the program. You're missing a zero, right? Take 13. Shall I carry on?
This is Season 20, Episode 2, and this week we're looking at Apple's recent announcements through the ecosystem lens. Can you do it all in one go, please? No. No, because that's not zero takes. I've connected it. Right. Um, no, because Mark has seamlessly edited the buttery smoothness. Just do it again now. Let's do it in, in one continu- zero continuous takes, as opposed to a zero take <laughs> comprised of 14 different fragments. Right. Come on, Mr. Zero Takes. Thanks for recognizing the value. <sighs> right. Let's take a run up. You ready? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. Season 20, episode two, and this week we're looking at Apple's recent announcements and asking, does their ecosystem add value for customers or lock them in? Beautiful. Just, I think the wordsmithing paid off. I think you can hear the value. That zero take approach is just golden. There you go. It's just ignore what you just heard. There you go. It's done. Zero takes. The record continues. The fact that Mark doesn't even have to sort through anything and just goes straight to the zero take. Exactly. Amazing. Right at the end. Done. Right, say a joke and get on with it. <laughs> say a joke. Look, I'm some kind of monkey. <laughs> you there, do one of those jokes. Well, I can do some themed jokes if you like. Yeah. Go on then. If you feel the need, Rafe. What do you get if you cross an apple with a shellfish? I don't know. Go on. A crab apple. Oh dear. Okay, yeah, that's quite cool. Next. Yeah. Give me one more then while we're at it. While we're young. He says with blind enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> My bear's got terrible diarrhea. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's really worrying me. He's not out of the woods yet. <laughs> uh, <sighs> okay. Fair enough. Um, that's it. That's my joke. All right. Um, Where are Ewan's average sound bites manufactured? Average sound bites. The satisfactory. The satisfactory. Oh, dear. All right. I'm just trying to work out if that's an insult or just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked out the window and saw really? two large black birds stuck together. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. They were Velcros. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> right. Let's leave it at that, shall we? I've got nothing. What's orange and sounds like a carrot? Go on. A parrot? No. No. Okay. <sighs> oh, dear. Isn't it what's orange and sounds like a parrot? A carrot. <laughs> Haven't you got that joke wrong? I, I, may, have, I may have got that wrong. <laughs> because what's orange and sounds like a carrot is another carrot. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. Why did the yogurt go to the art exhibition? Because it was cultured. That's very cool. Thank you, Ray. Come on, Ben. That's, that's gold. Right. All right. Sorry, Mark. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Sorry, Mark. Okay. Ready? Should we stop the recording now? Leave the poor man. Buttery smooth. Thanks, Buttery Mark. Smooth. Love you. Long time. I'm really sorry, Mark. Right. Do a countdown. He can do three, two, one, and he can do the. <laughs>